Oh no, you did it! I gotta get the squad back together. You busy? Jim, we need you. My shift's about to start. It's Sunday. Mom! Now? We need you. Fine. Mary, you're coming with us. Well, all right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing? My name is Nithin. I have the privilege of being the teaching pastor. Will you join me in welcoming our campuses watching throughout the state of New Jersey? <laughs> watching online. Good to have you guys here with us. As we are in part two of our series, hashtag squad goals, one of the most popular hashtags in all of the internet. And not only that, we're kind of looking at the question, who's in your squad? Do you have men and women that are helping you become more like the man or the woman that God wants you to be? Or do you have people that are holding you back? In fact, we looked at how the word squad goals actually comes from the word squadron. See the root right there? It says a unified fighting force coming together for a common cause that are better together rather than apart. And so we talked last week about how you and I are the composite of the five people we spend the most amount of time with. And so if you're spending time with people that are kind of encouraging you, kind of helping you kind of become your best version of yourself, you're going to keep moving forward. But if you're spending time with people that keep you stuck in the same bad habits and patterns that you've always been in, then maybe it's time for you to actually swap out your squad. And so we've actually been finding inspiration from the squad of a guy named Paul from the Bible. And in his squad, he had three types of people that we've been looking at and we're going to be looking at. He had, for instance, in his group, a mentor. Someone that he was, someone that you're looking to that's kind of helping you see where you're going and helping you move into that preferred future. Then there's also the apprentice, someone who you're helping get to the next level in their own life, who you're investing in. And then finally, the cheerleader. This is someone that is on your squad that's helping you become all you want to be. They're encouraging you. They're positive. They're helping you see the, 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 the light in the midst of the darkness. And in Paul's squad, he had these three types of people in his squad as well. For instance, Paul himself was the mentor. Paul mentored the first generation of Christ followers. He helped them become the church that we're experiencing and acknowledging today. Then he also had a guy he was apprenticing with, or had, was his apprentice, named Timothy. In fact, we're going to talk more about Timothy today. But he was a young leader that Paul invested in who became one of the greatest leaders of his generation. And then we're going to look at a man next week named Barnabas. Maybe not the most famous of the group, but Barnabas' influence was critical to the influence and spread and the impact of early Christianity in the church and why it's so important to have a cheerleader and for you to be a cheerleader in your squad. You know, when we talk about Timothy here, we talk about him being an apprentice, and oftentimes, you know, an apprentice seems like it's kind of like this weird kind of otherworldly thing, but it's been something that we've been doing for thousands of years as people. We find the master, the mentor, he's got an apprentice that apprentices under them and, and, and kind of gains their skills and their abilities to do all these incredible things, and we still have that practice today. For instance, if you became a hairdresser, you would go to beauty school, learn how to cut and style hair, but then you would have, uh, you have to have an apprenticeship where you would find a master, where you would work with them, and you would see how they managed their time, and how they worked with people, and how they handled the finances, and did all those things. 
In fact, here at Liquid Church, we have apprentices. We call them our intern squad. We've got some incredible interns. In fact, we got a great picture here of um, Ed Ramirez. He's actually directing some of our interns here. He's our video director. He's our master. And he's kind of coaching them and guiding them on how to do a great video. In fact, did you guys realize that opening video you saw was done by our interns? They do the whole thing and make some noise for the interns. <laughs> Phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. And one of the things that we see when we look at the life of Paul is that having an apprentice isn't just a nice thing to do. It is actually essential for the spread and the impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there is no apprenticeship, there is no Christian faith. In fact, he, he lays this out and he makes this, uh, this a command that he writes in a letter to his apprentice Timothy. He says this, And the things you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. So I want you to catch this. What's happening in this verse is what's called generational transference. Generational transference. Paul is taking his concepts, his ideas, the things he's experienced, the things he's learned about the early church, and all of the things that he's learned from the people there, and he wants to transfer that into the next generation. In fact, in this verse, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, I want you to count along with me to see how many generations Paul's speaking to. And the things you've heard me say, so this is from Paul to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others as well. How many generations is that? Four generations right there. Paul is saying, I want you to take the wealth of my understanding and my experiences and my knowledge, and I want you to take that, and I want you to transfer that to the next generation who would cascade on to the generation after that, and the generation after that, and the generation after that, because God has no grandchildren. The Christian faith only passes on as we have an encounter with Christ and we invite him into our lives to be in a relationship with him. Which is why I want to ask the question, who is your apprentice? Who is your apprentice? Who is the young man or the young woman that you're taking under your wing in your life that you're helping them to develop and become the man or the woman that God has made them to be? Now, first, I know for some of you in this room, you're kind of going, me? <laughs> have an apprentice be a mentor? Nithin, come on. There's nothing in my life that, that I would see is, worth, is noteworthy, that's worth passing on to the next generation. But I want to challenge you on that. I feel like you have more to pass on, more to give, than you could even realize on your own. Have you actually taken a step back at your life and actually looked at it and taken stock of what you've gone through, what you've been experiencing? Because whether you realize it or not, you're actually a wealth of experience. The riches that you have and the knowledge and the skills and the platforms and the, and the influences that you have can have a huge impact for those that come after you. And maybe you've heard the expression that life is like a box of chocolates, right? Well, I'd like to think that life is kind of like a treasure chest. Rather, you are a treasure chest. And within your life is a wealth and blend of experiences from your fa family of origin, from the family you married into, your education, your socioeconomic uh, level, your race, your culture, your education, the places that you lived or the places that you wish you lived, the people that you know or the people that you wish you knew. All of those things kind of come together and create this unique imprint, this unique treasure chest of things that you can offer those that are coming after you, that you can offer the next generation. But the question is, how do you leverage it? How do you leverage all of your life that you lived up to this point so that you can be a blessing to those that are coming after you, so that you can be a blessing to the next generation? 
Because there's a way that if you can figure out how to do that, your influence isn't just measured by your lifetime. Your influence is actually measured beyond that. For instance, maybe you look at your life and you're like, okay, what are the treasures I can share? Well, you can share your marriage. Maybe you're thinking, okay, Nathan, well, this disqualifies me right away because my wife and I, we're constantly fighting. Or, you know what, this, this isn't my first marriage. This is actually my second marriage. And for some of you are thinking, well, this is my third. I'm, I'm disqualified. Well, you know what, I actually think this uniquely qualifies you to actually mentor the next generation of young, engaged, or married couples. Because you see, for so often, you know, young couples, when they first get engaged, they're like, we never fight! But literally, you can tell them, conflict is coming. <laughs> right? And rather than letting the conflict destroy their relationship, you can help coach them and see that conflict can actually help your relationship go deeper can actually strengthen your relationship. You can help them avoid the same pitfalls that maybe you experienced in your relationships that led to some of their to divorce or anything like that. You can help walk them through that. Or you know what, if it's not in the areas of marriage, how about in leadership? Some of you are leaders in your industry. You're leaders in business, in finance, and education. And you don't even realize what you can offer from your experiences. Some of you have started businesses. Others of you have watched your businesses fall apart. In the good and the bad, there's so much that you can share with the next generation. You may think, you know, well, I just kind of lead, I just kind of do it, I, I don't even think about it. But those very gifts and abilities enable you to lead in a way where you can actually help shape the leaders of tomorrow by sharing what you've learned, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Or how about this? Maybe it's not necessarily in leadership, but how about your spiritual background? Some of you have a spiritual background. You grew up in church. You used to go to Sunday school, and you went to, anytime the church building was open, you were there, which is why when you turned 18, you walked away. Maybe you looked back and forth, and you looked at all the hypocrisy of the church, and you couldn't stomach it anymore. Or maybe it was the doubts that you wrestled with, and you just weren't sure if you could keep going, and so you walked away from your faith. You went prodigal, only to come back and you have a restored relationship with Jesus, and it's part of your story. You know, we have an entire generation right now that is actually walking away from church. Young adults, high school students, college students that are struggling with the same doubts that you've had. They look around and they see the hypocrisy of organized religion just like you did. Did you know that you could actually open up your story, open up your life, share with them what you struggled with, share with them what you saw, offer them hope, offer them a restored relationship with Jesus and actually would show them what that would look like and walk alongside of them. See, your spiritual heritage is a treasure to those who come after you. Or how about your cultural background, your race, where you came from? Some of you, you're an immigrant here. Some of you, you know, you're like me. Your parents were immigrants. And you have a unique view of the world because of your race, because of your culture. You see things differently. The things that are so often cultural blinders for many American Christians, you can point out and you can actually help other people see themselves differently. Have an appreciation and a richer understanding of what the global church means. The church that Jesus talks about in Revelation, which is made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and help people live that out today in the here and the now. But then there's the stuff that we don't want to really talk about. The stuff that anytime we talk about it and we relive it, it just brings us so much pain. It's the skeletons in our closet. It's the regrets. 
Maybe it's when you cheated on your spouse and you don't want to think about it or relive it because all that pain and all that regret comes back up to the surface. Or maybe it's failing with your kids. You had this idea of what the perfect family was going to be, and not only did you not attain it, it, it crashed and it burned, and you just want to hide it away. Or maybe you failed in business. You let family members down because of addiction, and so you hide it because you don't want to go back there. But did you know that this very story, this very regret, this very skeleton that you're trying to hide actually is the very story that someone you're going to meet one day is going to need? They're going to need to hear this story. They're going to need to hear what you went through and the pain that you experienced because it's going to help them step out of regret and failure. It's going to help them step out of uh, self-harm and hatred of themselves. Because what you considered your greatest failure could actually be your greatest strength in the hands of a God that redeems and restores all things. Amen? You see, your life is a treasure. Your life is a treasure. All of this God wants to use so that it can benefit the next generation. In fact, that's what Paul was trying to figure out. Paul was trying to figure out, how do I use all of this stuff and pass it on to the next generation? That's why Paul had an apprentice. He had an apprentice. He brought this kid named Timothy into his squad. I want to tell you a little bit about Timothy. He first shows up in Acts chapter 16 in the Bible. It says this, A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. So what we know about Timothy is he's probably a young man, late teens, early 20s. He's biracial, mom's Jewish, dad's Greek, and would experience some racial profiling. He'd walk into these Jewish faith communities, and they would be instantly suspicious of him because he wasn't fully Jewish. And because of Paul's influence in his life, and in the lives of those that he ministered to, he was able to build trust with these folks, and not only that, have influence and become one of their leaders, in fact, one of the best leaders of his generation. In fact, Timothy became Paul's right-hand man. He trusted Timothy implicitly. In fact, when Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church, here's what he says about Paul. In fact, he says this throughout his letters. He says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul trusted Timothy. He saw Timothy as a spiritual son. When, when Paul couldn't visit a church that he started or a group of believers he was mentoring, he would send Timothy to go do it because he knew that if he sent Timothy, Timothy would see it the way he would and do what he wanted him to do there. He had a lot of trust in Timothy. In fact, Timothy also had a lot of influence on Paul. In fact, we read in many of the letters in the early church that Paul co-wrote them with Timothy. We see Timothy's name on many of these letters as a co-writer in the midst of this. Paul mentored and developed Timothy to the point where he actually became one of the greatest pastors and leaders in his generation. In fact, he died in AD 97 in the city of Ephesus where he pastored for most of his life. You see, this is the vehicle that Paul saw the spread of Christianity happen through apprenticing, through mentoring. See, Paul said, in your squad, you need to have a mentor that you're reaching out to that's pulling you forward into the future that he has. But you should also be reaching back to the generation that's coming after you and pulling them forward as well. This is how the gospel is spread and how the gospel moves from generation to generation. It's generational transference. So who's the Timothy on your squad? Who's the young man or the young woman that you're developing and mentoring and coaching so that they can be a benefit and a blessing to their generation, so they can be who God's called them to be? Now, if you've ever been a Timothy, you know what it feels like to have someone in that key position to take you under their wing and apprentice you. And you need it. We all need it. 
fact, I remember when I was in my early 20s, I had just finished graduate school. I was trying to figure out what to do next. I was like, okay, do I, you know, get a job in a community development organization in the nonprofit sector? Should I just get a job in the marketplace, work for a paycheck rather than my passion? Should I work at a church? And I really wasn't sure what the next step was, because really, the reason why I was so indecisive, if I can be really honest, was I was afraid and I was insecure. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid no one's going to follow me. I was afraid I wouldn't have the right answer or know what to do. And so I just was more and more indecisive and kept being indecisive. And that's when this man came into my life, a man named Don Bubna. Here's a picture of Don. You know, he's kind of nerdy looking, but uh, don't let that fool you. The man's brilliant. And Don, he came into my life when he was in his mid-70s, uh, mid to late 70s. And I remember, you know, when I first met him, Don was a leader among leaders. He would actually be flying all over the world, meeting with leaders and, and coaching them, uh, mentoring them, whether it's faith leaders or leaders in business. But that's what Don did. And whenever he flew into New Jersey, he'd always make time to hang out with me, which I really appreciated. And so I remember I would drive into the Newark airport area to, to meet with him at one of the restaurants there. And I remember at one of our meetings just telling Don, just, how insecure I felt. Just saying, you know, I don't know if I could be a good leader. You know, I, I struggle with fear. I struggle with doubt. Don, I, I just don't think I'm the right guy to do any of this. And I remember what Don said to me. He goes, no, Nathan, you are a leader. Fear doesn't disqualify you from leadership. In fact, it may be the very thing that qualifies you. Because every leader struggles with fear. Every leader struggles with insecurity. And then Don would share with me these leadership failures of, of that he's experienced over and over again. What do you say to me? is, you know what, Nathan, failure actually means that you're doing a good job as a leader. It means you're taking risks. It means you're growing. It means you're developing. If you're not failing, that would be the problem. And Nathan, you're a leader. And so as leaders, you need to go out and take risks and fail and grow and learn from it. I remember, you know, after Don was, you know, sharing that with me, really, it really was confirmation. I was like, I think I'm supposed to do this. I think I'm supposed to be a leader. You know, there are men and women, Timothys, in your life that need to hear that from you. Because for them, your affirmation is their confirmation. Your affirmation is someone's confirmation. The things that you see in them that you affirm is actually going to be what helps them know how they can move forward in life, how they can move forward in their destiny and do what God made them to do. And so your affirmation, whether it's someone at work or someone in the faith community you're in, can actually be a huge blessing to move forward. I want to share with you four ways that you can affirm the Timothys in your life. Four ways that you can actually coach, mentor, and, and those that are apprenticing underneath you. The first way is this, is to affirm their gifts. Affirm their gifts. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. See, when we find Timothy, he's a young leader. And the majority of his time has been spending with Paul. He's been hanging out with Paul his entire life as a leader. Now he's flying solo. And now he's terrified. And I'm sure some of the questions he's asking himself are, am I really a leader? Do I really have what it takes? And Paul says, listen, you're a leader. You have what it takes. That's why we laid hands on you. You see, in the ancient world, the practice of laying hands is like getting a diploma. If someone laid hands on you, it meant that you got your MBA, you got your diploma, you're a graduate. So Timothy was a graduate, of, graduate in leadership already, and he was released to be a leader. And his challenge was to lead, and to lead others well. And so that's what he did. He received this affirmation. 
You see, so often I think that when we look at the Timothys in our lives and we see leadership or we see some sort of gift or qualification, we can sometimes get frustrated that they're not using their gifts to their potential. They're not using their abilities the way we'd like them. Because oftentimes, young Timothys often may misappropriate their gift. They may not be using their gift the way they need to. And your job is not to be critical. It's not to tell them what a bad job they're doing already, but it's to help them see the greater vision to help them see how God is calling them to use their gift and to use it in a way that's actually appropriate, that's actually going to be a blessing, not a curse. And I had the opportunity to do that, you know, many years ago. Um, I met this uh, young guy, he's a teenager, 11th or 12th grade, and his name was John. And when I first met John, he was brilliant, really smart guy, really knew his stuff. He was also just really charismatic, really whimsical. I really liked spending time with him, but he had a couple issues. And in fact, his mom came up to me and said, you know, I know you met my son, John. He's great, but he's got a problem. I go, all right, well, what's his problem? He loves marijuana. Okay, that's a problem. Tell, tell me more. Well, you know, he's always sneaking out of the house. He's always smoking pot with his friends. And, you know, we have tried disciplining him. We've tried grounding him. We've yelled at him. You know, he's just defined. He just doesn't stop. Can you talk to him? Can, can you fix him, essentially, is what she was saying. And I said, well, I can't fix him, but I'll talk to him. And so I remember sitting down with him and just hanging out with him, getting to know him. And one of the things I noticed is he always had a group of guys that were always following him around. He always had this group of guys, and they'd always go to the gym with him. He'd, he'd actually sometimes invite these guys to church and to come to, come to youth group and meet his church friends. But he always had this group of guys. They'd even, they'd even go and smoke pot together. And one of the things I, I noticed is this guy is a leader. He has a leadership gift. And I don't know if anyone's ever affirmed that in him. And so I remember sitting him down one day, you know, we grabbed coffee, and I had what I called an ICNU conversation with him. An ICNU conversation. So this co- these are actually the four most powerful letters in the entire vocabulary. You know what they stand for? They stand for I see in you. I see in you. And they sat down with John and looked him in the eye and said, John, I see in you leadership. You are made to be a leader. You're made to lead people to have a relationship with Jesus. You're made to have an impact in whatever industry you enter into. You are a leader. You can influence people for greater good rather than just this something dumb like smoking pot. You have this opportunity to be a leader among your peers and among your generation if you just choose to lead them in a better way. I see that in you. And I think for the first time, he started to get it. Because shortly after that, he stopped smoking pot and he recommitted his life to Jesus, and he started helping his friends begin a relationship with with Jesus, and it was incredible to watch that. And I watched him graduate high school, go off to college. He went to Rutgers in the engineering program, and he started Bible studies with the folks in his engineering department. In fact, the department head saw John as such a leader, he actually would lean into him and and ask him to be his right-hand man. He went down to NASA with, or not, with NASA, not not, NASA would be great, but NASA, NASA, And he actually was interned there with one of his professors and actually grew as a leader there. And while there, he he had, you know, he really kind of established himself, could get a job right after that, but instead went back to graduate school to study, um, what did he study? It was space noise. I'm not, what is space noise? I don't even know what that is. It's something that smart people do. Okay, I just don't get it. But that's what he's doing. He's studying space noise. But you know what? One of the things that was so cool to see was to see this guy's gifts being affirmed. And it's not like he didn't have those gifts. They were being misused. They were being misappropriated. 
And having that opportunity to say, no, this is how God gave you that gift. This is how he wants you to use it. When God gets a hold of that gift, man, you're going to change the world. And he's doing that. There's something that's really amazing when you sit down with a middle school kid, a high school kid, or a college kid, and you see their gifts, and rather than being critical or kind of, you know, yelling at them, saying, why don't you use it better, actually affirming their gift and giving them the vision of how they can use that gift in a way that's beyond themselves. In fact, that's one of the things we do here at Liquid Church in our high school program. We have this program called Youth Lead. And what Youth Lead is, it's an apprenticeship program. We, we get our high school kids and we give them an opportunity to lead, whether it's leading in the music, doing sound, making graphics, running the sound, the, all that stuff. They kind of run the whole programming side of, of a Sunday night. Why do we do that? Because we want to affirm their gifts. We want to give them opportunities to use their gifts. Because we do not want to be a one-and-done generation church. We want to continue to be raising up the generation, keep moving aside so that they can move forward and take us to where God is leading us. Help them become who God wants them to be. That's the vision that God has for the church, to affirm the gifts. If you have an apprentice in your life, affirm their gifts. Help them see the things that they may not see about each other. But then also you need to help them acknowledge their weaknesses. Help them acknowledge their weaknesses. Because we all need to be aware of them. In fact, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You see, I think the reason why Paul wrote this to Timothy was he knew that he struggled with being timid. He struggled with being shy. Now, we don't know all the reasons why. It could have been because maybe, you know, he felt inexperienced as a leader. Maybe he wasn't super organized. Maybe he didn't know how to manage his time really well. Maybe he looked really young. He talked with a squeaky voice that cracked. <laughs> didn't have facial hair yet. And he, and he wasn't sure if people were going to take him seriously. So Paul says to him, listen, don't be afraid of all that. You have to lead, even when you feel weak, even when you don't feel like you have the ability to. And you do it through power, love, and self-discipline, knowing that the power comes from God. God's going to give you the ability to lead, the ability to have an influence, the ability to make changes that you need to make, but also love, because you are loving these people, and you're moving them from this place where they are here to another place there. And finally, self-discipline, knowing that if you got to keep doing the same things that you're made to do, that you're called to do, then day in, day out, don't give up, don't lose hope, and you're going to see God move through you. You see, oftentimes, we want to, you know, hide our limitations. We want to fake it till we make it. But what God's saying is, no, no, just be honest about your limitations. Be honest about your brokenness. And then watch how I'm going to use that to transform you and those around you. In fact, we get to see examples of that a lot here at our church, all across our campuses. You know, recently, a couple of months ago, Pastor Tim did a series called In God We Trust, really kind of talking about how do we get rid of debt? How do we live uh, as good financial stewards? And so we were kind of looking at that concept. And as we were doing that, um, one of the couples in our church named James and Kelly Gardner, they actually run our mentoring program for Financial Peace University. They're mentoring people to how to handle their finances well in a godly way so that they can be a blessing to others and get out of debt. And while they were doing this during this series, um, or actually while they were doing this, they actually started mentoring a couple named Rick and Cecilia. Rick and Cecilia had about $180,000 in debt. They were kind of struggling in their marriage because of it. But through James and Kelly transferring their generational knowledge of how to handle your finances, how to handle your debt, they were able to pay off over $100,000 of debt. Incredible. And so during this series, In God We Trust, James and Kelly approached them and said, hey, would you guys consider maybe leading your own Financial Peace University group, your own FPU group? 
And Rick and Cecilia were like, well, I don't know. I mean, we still have all this debt that we need to pay off. And you guys paid it all off. You're good. I don't know if we can do this. But they encouraged us. No, no, you're in this state where you can actually show people how to do it, that you're still in process. You're still working through this. Even though this was a limitation and a weakness in your life, you can show how God is using that to transform your life. And now they have a group of about 60 people that are sitting with them, being mentored. Again, that information is transferring from them into the next generation. So hopefully another couple can rise up and do the same. See, that's the power of leadership. That's the power of mentoring. When we can acknowledge our weaknesses and see how God can take our weaknesses and make us stronger in those things. In fact, another way that we see this is sometimes in a way that really something that no one wants to talk about. You know, oftentimes when I talk to young Timothys, they struggle in areas of sexual addiction, whether it's pornography, whether it's something along those lines, and they're ashamed to talk about it. And so they hide it. They, they kind of shove it away. When really there's power when you can come into a community of people and share your struggles. One of the things we have here at Liquid is we have recovery groups, and in our recovery groups, men and women can gather and share their struggles honestly. Guys can share with other guys, hey, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I feel like I'm failing. Here's where I need prayer. And there's a whole community of folks that can say, hey, we're with you. We can pray with you. We can come alongside you. You see, there's something powerful when we can admit our failures and our weaknesses. And they see, when we do that, we're able to find hope and we're able to find healing. We're able to find community of people around us. See, when you're mentoring a young Timothy or you have an apprentice in your squad, you need to help them come to the place where they can honestly assess and acknowledge their weaknesses, not to shame them, not to make them feel bad, but so they can simply say, this, hey, listen, this is where I struggle. This is my weakness. This is where I don't have it all together. And by doing that, they can actually invite the power of God and the transformation of God to come into their lives. That's why Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because he understands that the gateway to transformation is actually through weakness. And when we acknowledge our weakness, we actually acknowledge the way for God to actually break it through and break into our lives. You see, the world may say that you are defined by your weakness and you're defined by your limitation. Jesus says, no, 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 I define you and your strength is in me. See, the world may say that you've got to follow and make your own way. Jesus says, no, 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 follow me and I'll lead you on your own way. Jesus, while the world may say you're found, your weaknesses, your limitations make you worthless, Jesus says, no, no, your worth and your value is found in me. While the world says your weaknesses define you, your failures define you, Jesus says, no, no, I define you. I define you as my son. I define you as my daughter. I define you as my child that's holy and blameless and pure because of what I've done on the cross. Amen? Can we give God a praise right now? Because that's what our God does. He takes our weaknesses, he takes our brokenness, and he transforms them, and he makes all things new. He doesn't make, good pe he doesn't make bad people good, he makes dead people alive. And that's what he does for us every single day. He's the God of restoration. And you know, when I talk with young Timothys, or if I'm apprenticing someone, one of the areas where I found there is a weakness is there's faulty thinking. The way they think about themselves, the way they see themselves, is actually not the way God sees them, it's not the way Jesus sees them. And so oftentimes, that's what we have to address. And so often, when you're working with a Timothy, you have to help cultivate their character. You have to help cultivate their character. This is so important. In fact, listen to what Paul says to Timothy in a letter. He says to this, Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Translation's this. Listen, Timothy, you're a talented teacher. You're really good at teaching. You're really good at making the Bible come alive and relevant. But listen, your life better match up to what you're teaching. 
Otherwise, it's going to affect the salvation of others. If you don't get this part right, people are literally going to be walking away from the message of Jesus. And remember, Timothy, he's, even though he's young, he's talented. He's got the goods. He's a great teacher. He's a great leader. People follow him. He inspires them. But Paul's saying, listen, talent is not enough. Talent isn't enough. They say that talent is actually what can get you into the room, but your character is what keeps you there. Just ask Elizabeth Holmes. How many of you have ever heard of Elizabeth Holmes? Maybe you've seen her on the news, things like that. Yeah, at the age of 31, Elizabeth Holmes was heralded as the second coming of Steve Jobs. Her company, Theranos, had invented this blood test that was able to do it quickly and cheaply, and literally it was disrupting the entire market. Back in 2015, Forbes magazine named her the woman of the year, youngest billionaire at 31 years old. Phenomenal, brilliant, successful. But I guarantee you, if you Google Elizabeth Holmes now, instead, what you're going to see is this. Founder of Theranos, charged with massive fraud. You see, you know those blood tests that she invented? Turns out they were faked. And she was faking the results. She was lying to her investors. But more importantly, she was lying to the United States government. And it got her in trouble. And so she lost all of her money. She lost her company. And she could be losing her freedom because of her lack of character. You can have all the talent in the world. You can have the talent that gets you in rooms beyond what you could even manage. But if the character is not there yet, your character can't hold you up in the midst of, as you go through that. Character has got to be something that we have to intentionally develop, especially in the generation that comes after. And there's really two ways that you can develop character. The first way is through suffering. When you go through suffering, when you go through pain, what happens is our character is forged through those times, through those seasons. And oftentimes, if you have a young Timothy in your life, they may not realize that suffering is a natural part of life. And if something doesn't go their way, it can be kind of uh, devastating, which is where you need to pay, play an important role. When that young couple comes and says they're struggling in their marriage because of a betrayal, you can say, listen, I, I know what it's like to be betrayed by my partner. And I know it's difficult and I know it's hard, but if you keep going step by step by step, if you keep moving forward, God's going to meet you in that. And, and let me tell you how God met us in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that heartache. And he wants to meet you in that too. You can share your story and come alongside of them and help them move forward. Or maybe it's in business or leadership. You know, maybe you get a young executive who goes up to you and goes, you know what, I'm really struggling in my department. It seems like it's nothing but conflict. And it's like I'm battling my boss, I'm battling my coworkers. It's like they're trying to push me off the project. I'm trying to stand up for good character and values and integrity. And it seems like everyone that I work with, they just go low and they seem like they're progressing, but I'm still stuck. And I'm just, I'm just tempted to compromise. And you can go to them and say, no, 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 don't compromise. Because in the short term, it may be winning, but in the long term, in the long term, God sees. And he's going to take care of you. He's going to help you live a life of integrity in the midst of it all. Or maybe you've experienced, you talk to one of your Timothys and they're experiencing racism. You're feeling, they feel like they're being judged, that they're, they're being biased against, and you're like, listen, I know it seems hard and it's easy to get cynical, but let me tell you something. I, I know what it's like too. But God is going to use your background. God is going to use your story to help 
elevate the stories of others, to, to widen their perspective so we can see that the church isn't just what's happening in America, isn't just what's happening in New Jersey, but we can have a global perspective and see the world the way God sees it. So you can come alongside of those that you're apprenticing and you can show them a bigger view of the world, a bigger view of reality, and help them forge their character through suffering. And the other way that you can forge character through suffering is actually by intentionally making changes in your life so that you can be able to have the character that you need to move forward in life. I remember as a young Christian trying to figure out, you know, how do these guys that I respect, many of them were ministry leaders, stay so close to God? They have a great relationship with Jesus. How do they do that? And I remember sitting down with a few of them, and what they said to me was, well, Nathan, part of it is I get up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning so I can spend time with him. Otherwise, you know, the day's going to get going, and I just won't have that happen. At the time, I was going to bed at 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning. So I was like, okay, it's going to take me a little while to make that shift. It took me about 10, 12 years, but I'm still making that shift. Um, but you know, let me tell you something. There's something about that where you can get up in the morning. I get up before my kids do sometimes so I can spend that time with God, and it shapes my day. It kind of makes my day orderly and moves in a better direction. And I learned that because I wanted to develop character of the people that I respected in the same way. We need to develop that character. And our Timothys that we develop, we need to help them build character so they can last for the long haul. So what's it look like to affirm, to train, to equip the Timothys in our lives? Let's review real quick. First, we need to affirm their gifts. We need to help them see that they're gifted, that they have what it takes. We also need to help them to acknowledge their weaknesses to help them realize that, listen, you don't have to have your life all together. It's okay. And not only that, we need to help them cultivate their character so that they can, when people see them, they're the same person when no one sees them, when everyone sees them. And I want to share with you the final way to kind of cultivate the Timothys in our life, and that's to transfer your treasure. Transfer your treasure. I want to go back to what Paul wrote to Timothy earlier on in the message, which is this. And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others as well. Let me ask you this pop quiz. How many generations is Paul talking to? Four. He's talking to four generations in here. Paul is taking all that he's learned as a first-generation follower of Jesus, and he wants to hand it off to the next generation. He wants the next generation to benefit from the mistakes he made, but also from the successes he's had. He wants them to stand on his shoulders and move forward. So he's saying, Timothy, take all the things that I've learned, and I want you to take it to the next generation so that we can keep the movement of Jesus going forward, so we can keep it moving in the direction it needs to go, so that all the world may hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are benefiting from Paul's experience today. We stand on his shoulders 2,000 years later. In the same way, there are men and women in your midst right now that are, need to be apprenticed by you, and you have this beautiful opportunity to transform or transfer your treasure unto them, to basically take the things that you've learned from your marriage, from handling conflicts in your life, from your leadership ability, from your spiritual background, the skeletons in your closet, and your culture. You can take all the things that you've learned, and you can pass them on to the next generation. You can hand it off to them so they can learn what you've learned. And you know what happens? This becomes a seed. And, and your life has an impact, not just today, not just for right now, but for all the generations that come after. They can learn from your mistakes and, and, and avoid those things and can get passed on from generation to generation to generation. Because really, that's what God's called us to do, to make disciples. And on and on and on it goes. You know, oftentimes, 
uh, I hear kind of millennials kind of being the butt of a lot of jokes. You know, oh, they're unreliable, what a bunch of snowflakes, you know, they're entitled, you know, on and on it goes. But you notice that it's never millennials who say that about themselves. It's usually boomers and Xers that say that about millennials. Let me challenge you on this. If you're a boomer or an Xer in this room, rather than complaining about millennials, maybe God is saying you need to mentor them. Maybe you need to invest in them. Maybe you need to invite them to join your squad. And you need to learn how they think and how they see the world so that they can better learn from you, so you can better coach them, and you can help them eventually take over the institutions in the world that we live in right now, because it's going to happen. But you have an opportunity to come around them. And the reason why we do this is because we see Jesus do this. Jesus did this with these 12 young guys, uh, late teens, early 20s, millennials themselves, and Jesus put up with them. He put up with all their junk, right? He put up with them. He invested in them. He, he mentored them. They were his apprentices for three years, and then he released them, and the church has still been going on since then. See, that's the power if we can really understand this. If we can really apprentice the next generation and transfer our treasure to them, we will see the kingdom of God expand in our lifetime and even beyond. So, this brings me to my question again. Who's your apprentice? Who's your apprentice? Who are the people that you're investing in, that you're helping develop and become all that God made them to be? You know, Jack Welch once was, was once asked, what is the greatest leadership attribute? You know what he said? Generosity. Being able to take what you have, all of your treasure, and then give it away to the next generation. That's the greatest leadership attribute. Taking all the things that you learned and all the things that you've experienced and processed and giving it to the generation that comes after. So who's your apprentice? Or maybe you're here thinking, Nathan, I don't have an apprentice yet. Like, I don't even know where to find one. Well, let me give you a couple pools that you can start kind of fishing in to find an apprentice. The one is Liquid Family. Liquid Family, you can actually invest in a group of kids different ages, different stages, and you can actually invest in them, care for them, help them become who God made them. But you can affirm their gifts at a young age so that they know what God is calling them to, even from that point, especially in Liquid High School. In Liquid High School, these kids are struggling to find out their sense of meaning, their identity, their purpose. They want to know what they're gifted in, and you can come alongside of them at this crucial time period in their life and help them grow in that. Or how about you can be a small group leader? You can lead a group of, of men, of women, of couples, and help them understand God's will for their life and help them see and help them learn how to lead and things like that. You can lead a financial peace university group. You can lead a recovery group. You have all these opportunities where you can lead other people because of what you've experienced and what you've lived through. And finally, you can also be a marriage mentor. I mean, some of you are thinking, well, Nathan, like, I think I'm disqualified. You know, I'm in my second marriage right now. I don't know if I could do it. But let me encourage you, that uniquely qualifies you to help young couples navigate the difficulties and maybe even avoid the same mistakes that you've made moving forward. If you want more information on any of these ministries or ways that you can get involved, you can go to our Welcome Center at any of our campuses and you'll find folks that would love to tell you more information on how you can get plugged in and how you can find an apprentice and apprentice the next generation. You know, I think oftentimes we look at this and go, well, Nathan, I don't know if I have time for this. Like, I don't know if I have the ability or the bandwidth. And the truth of the matter is, you don't just do this for the next generation, but you also do this for yourself. Because there's something that you learn, there's something that you get when you share your life with other people. It actually enlarges your heart. It enlarges your ability to love others 
And actually, you start to see what God's doing. Whether you do this in the context of church or you do the context of your business, of your job, but you can actually start to see others develop and grow because of your influence in their lives. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come right now. Right now, God, you know what our squads look like. Would you show us who those apprentices are right now that we need to start investing in? And Lord, maybe we don't have those people yet, but you're bringing them into our midst. And so God, I pray that you'd begin to bring in those people. May we take the steps we need to take of getting involved, whether it's in small groups or liquid family or you name, or God, you bring something to mind that we need to walk into. And as we do that, God, would you show us how we can use our treasures, we can use our experiences and what we've gone through in life to be a blessing to those that come after us, to those who maybe have not yet experienced what we're about to experience, so that we can be a blessing to them. We ask all this in Jesus' mighty and awesome name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.